On tonight's Tuesday Night with Ben Stout, it is question and answer. And I get your questions ready because Ben is here to answer all those questions on tonight's show. We'll be back in just a moment. DJ Event Planner will change the way you manage and run your business. Streamline all of your procedures and software into one easy-to-manage system. DJ Event Planner, the ultimate online planning tool. Right, we are back. It is Tuesday night with Ben. So that means that every question you've ever wanted to know about any topic is now game for the one and only Ben Stowe. Good evening, Ben. Bring it on. What do you got? Well, I have some. And then the chat rooms are going to be bringing out the best of the best questions. Actually, there's a couple of folks who had some questions. They're like, yeah, I've got a question, but I'm, I'm going to ask it during the show. Um, so would you guys do put those into the, the chats, whether you're w watching on Facebook or YouTube, and I will be bouncing back and forth to get those. So I think the very first question we're going to get to, which is not on my list is, uh, from day, I'm going to convert your, your message just a little bit. Day's question is basically, is it, should I quit my day job so I can watch more of the Tuesday night with Ben Stowe shows? You know, Dave, a lot of questions I answer with uh, the phrase, it depends. Uh, but this one, I think we can just go with a flat, absolutely. Absolutely, you should. So there you are. It, it, that You can take that to the bank and tell the significant other, yes, Ben said. You know, the only thing is, uh, I think we only have about 140 shows. So uh, let's say that that's, uh, you know, approximately... 45 minutes per show, uh, you're only going to, that's only going to take care of a few months for you. That's true. That's true. You might want to keep the job just, just as a fallback, you know, there's always, it's always good to be cautious and be prepared. And we can only crank these shows out so fast. <laughs> uh, we're going to continue on the chat room questions and we'll get to the others or we may never get to those. Um, how much damage can you do to a uh, K-12 if you clip the input? And yet, Well, John, yeah, I'm so not even sure how to answer that question. Um, it depends on how badly you clip it, I suppose. Uh, you know, worst case scenario, you, you could cause substantial damage, uh, fatal damage. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, you know, occasionally clipping the input, you're probably not likely to cause uh, much or any damage. Um, you know, you're just clipping off the waveform. But if you, uh, I, again, I, that's a tough one to answer. I, I would avoid doing it, though, certainly uh, as much as possible. So now, the, just, just to clarify. Because it doesn't sound good, you know. 
But let's 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 kind of dig into this one just a little bit, uh, Ben. So if I'm clipping the sound from my board, basically is clipping in this particular mm-hmm. this situation, and it's sending this nasty signal to the speaker. Mm-hmm. Now the speaker most likely has some things built into it. Um, for in the electric voice world, we know that they have the the limiting things that starts to do it. None of that protection would help the speaker to prevent it from hurting itself in this configuration with this problem, correct? Well, no, not necessarily it wouldn't. Uh, and, and certainly it won't improve the sound because once that signal is clipped, it's clipped all the way through. You, you can only make that clipped signal louder. You can't unclip the signal at that point. Um, and so when you look at the musicality of a clipped signal or the lack thereof, really, and we think about you know what translating that from an electrical signal and, and a waveform into cone movement, uh, you know, we could begin to see where that would be uh, problematic for a speaker. So here again, uh, without splitting hairs into, you know, how bad is it? And at what point does it become a, a wrecking ball for your system? Uh, just avoid it, uh, you know, certainly. Again, a momentary instance probably isn't going to be, uh, you know, really consequential. And I say probably because I, I certainly wouldn't go on record and say definitely right. uh, it won't hurt because it could. But uh you know, more than likely a momentary thing isn't going to be the end of the world, but certainly it's not something you want to go into a gig with. If you have a clipped signal in your mixer or anywhere else in your gain structure, uh, fix it. Simple, really, you know. So let's let's go back to the old the old days when we used to run, you know, the, coming out of our, our mixer, we would go into an amplifier and then go out to speakers. We didn't have a lot of the different compression or, or I should say the limiting and different things such as that. It was just basically amplifier speakers. If I would have mm-hmm. sent that clip signal to my amplifier and then out to my speakers, which device would have gotten damaged from that clip signal if I would have been doing it too much? Would my amplifier have gotten toast or would my speakers have gotten, gotten fried? A lot of variables in the types of amplifiers out there and the types of circuitry. I think I would, I'm just going to throw a dart at this one and say probably the speaker cone. Okay. You know, probably, uh, but, but here again, there's, we're, we're talking about things that there's so many variables uh, and, and even in a laboratory, uh, I suppose we could probably come up with many conflicting answers to this question. Mm Mm-hmm. I think, you know, for the sake of simplicity, and I, I, I know that we want to go down this macabre, morbid path of what will we kill first, but I think I'd rather just walk it all the way back and say, let's just not, you know, yeah, shall yeah, we? Certainly. Let's just not do it. Because uh, I guess it doesn't really matter which piece of gear dies first, something dies, you know. And even if something doesn't die, uh, certainly the experience and the sound of a clip signal is not going to be something we want to be uh, putting out there for our clients. So uh, if we have one, we should we should retool our gain structure and, and fix said clipped signal. So uh, you mentioned, you know, like having an amplifier outboard of a speaker and that sort of thing. And even if we did have something like a drive rack or an outboard compressor or some other DSP, we could have all the tools that we have in a powered loudspeaker just outside of the loudspeaker. But fundamentally, uh, the problem is the same. So now in order to, to alleviate that, we would have to reduce the output from our, our board because our board is being pushed too hard. Now, if to be able to still get volume but not push the board too hard, what would be? Let's go back to our powered speakers. I believe he was re- referring to a K, uh, K12s. Uh, if with that particular, would it be better to then turn a K12 instead of maybe having it at zero, is to maybe turn it up to two or three, so it is now amplifying that input signal more? Or what would be your best suggestion for that? Uh, it depends. So let's go back and take. 
You know, I'm, I'm sorry, but no, it does. that's okay. That's okay. okay. They're having more fun every time you mention Depends. They're like, I, I, I'm guessing it's become a, a, you know, pulling out your Pepsi and having a, a, a swig of Pepsi when you say Depends. I'm guessing that's what's happened. Well, maybe they do a drinking game. Well, I got yes. good old-fashioned Chicago water here, so... Uh, <laughs> Uh, let's, let's go back with the understanding that it's possible that we could be clipping the input of our mixing board. Hmm. So it, it could be that it's not even, uh, the channel level on the mixing board, the channel fader, and it's not even the main fader on the mixing board. It could be the input side of the mixing board is clipping. So we could be clipping that thing all the way through. So I think Rather than talking about where we would turn it up or down, let's just talk about gain structure again. This is a topic I think we just can't talk about too much. Uh, and let's say that basically what we want to do in every instance with gain structure is start at the input side and work our way through. So we would want to find the input ideal, the ideal input gain. Then we would be able to use our channel faders. Then we would be able to use our master fader to set our output level. Then we would go to our amplifier or the amplifier in our powered loudspeaker, which is the same thing, just depends on where it lives, uh, and adjust the, uh, the, the trim there. So uh, by doing so, you're going to be able to get the loudest, uh, cleanest signal. You're going to have the best signal-to-noise ratio, and you're also going to avoid clipping the signal at any gain stage. Uh, so the answer of where to turn it up is, you know, again, it's, it's, it depends. I would just go back to the beginning and, and uh, look at the game structure all the way through. It's not very time consuming uh, and you'll be stunned at how much better the whole system sounds all the way through. Okay, good, good. Um, we're going to be. No, no, that was good. That was good. That was good. We, we got some good information there for those people who are struggling with, uh, with that. We took you in a couple of different directions and you gave some good, good uh, advice. And then you got into that car chase, that Sith Lord thing, and then it got kind of boring. But then you came back, and we're good. Well, let's just leave it there then. Uh, but <laughs> the short answer to the direct question you asked me is maybe we would be turning it down on the mixer and turning it up on the speaker. But again, it's could you know, be. Let's, there, let's walk through the process. Lots of variables. Yep, good. Um, so uh, if you guys have questions, put them into the chat here. I'm gonna, I've am gonna. i got uh, the next one we're going to actually get to, which is one I've had a few people asking about. And I'm not sure this one may be outside of, of your uh, your expertise, Ben, and you may not have. But I wanted to put this out there. Um, a lot of people are concerned about the price of gear coming up in 2019 with these tariffs and things and it raising the cost of, of goods coming in. Uh, the questionnaire wondering if, if there's going to be a certain type of gear that DJs use that's going to be affected the most. Will there be some things that aren't affected at all and, and uh, such, if you could give some insight into that? Well, uh, I'm a pretty good geek. Uh, I am not a tariff lawyer. Uh, so I'll tell you, it, it is, it, I think I have some answers for you, but it's, it's becoming more difficult to figure it out. There are some that are 10% right now and will go to 20, excuse me, 25% in January. Uh, tariffs largely affect products that are made in China. And, uh, you know, many products are, but some are not. So some products are made in Taiwan, uh, which is a different country and the tariffs don't apply. Uh, I would say it's going to affect a lot of our things though. We're seeing, I just got, uh, maybe four or five more emails today. Another one just before the show started, uh, and it seems to be affecting almost everybody saying, Hey, brace yourself. Price increases are coming. Uh, and this seems to be affecting things, uh, you know, uh, all over the board, uh, lights, stands, sound equipment. The one I got just before the show was from QSC. Uh, 
I think I think what we're going to see is fairly across the board increases. Um, I, I don't know that I can tell you which ones we will and won't. Some manufacturers were stocked deeper, and so uh, they were able to hold on longer before the tariffs became an impact. Sure. Others, of course, the tariffs are sort of staggered. Uh, I would just say uh, expect gear to cost more in 2019. Uh, so there are some definite reasons to uh, look at getting gear by the end of this year. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of changes with taxes and things coming too, as I understand it. So uh, by getting the gear now, you can uh, you can write the gear off on this year's taxes. You can uh, avoid those tariffs, uh, you know, but uh, don't buy gear you don't need. You know, yeah. I'm not saying that, uh, but if you need something, this might be the time to do it. Uh, I think there will be very little that is going to cost less in 2019. I, I, I would venture to guess almost everything is going to cost more in 2019. Yeah. It's just kind of surprising as you're reading in the paper and you're looking at even businesses with the, within the handyman realm, these even companies that, that you think it's like, yeah, well, yeah, they, they've got their, you know, Polaris as an example, how much of the Polaris Ranger is Direct uh, is is Chinese. Uh, it comes comes from China. It's assembled here, and how that uh, they were saying that's going to be add millions of dollars to their costs for 2019. It's just kind of mind blowing to a point that how this is all going to you know get down and eventually affect us. You know, ironically, and I guess it really shouldn't be ironic because obviously this is something everybody's watching, and I'm keeping a close eye on is uh, I was just reading an article from uh, South China Morning News uh, about tariffs and about you know the strategy and how even Chinese manufacturers are moving their production out of China. Uh, you know, companies that are based in China are moving their manufacturing facilities out of China to get away from uh, these tariffs. Um, many US manufacturers are front-loading orders. They're ordering in more now uh, to try to get inventory in before the tariffs, but sooner or later this is going to uh, you know, this is going to take effect, but it's also affecting U.S. manufacturers because uh, it's it's uh, created an increase in the cost of some raw materials, the increase in steel and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, and uh, I realize this is election day, and and some people uh, you know are very much in favor of the tariffs. Uh, obviously, it's created a lot of jobs in the iron range here in Minnesota. Some people are vehemently against the tariffs, and they're against the people that pass the tariffs. Look, this isn't a political thing. You know, I don't know if the tariffs are good or bad. I think history will tell us. We, we maybe won't even know for 20 years. Yep. Uh, but, to, you know, setting all that aside, uh, in a much smaller world where, where I live here with just, you know, looking out for you and your gear, uh, I'm just going to tell you, I, I think almost everything's going to cost more in 2019. We also have, you know, some some inflationary pressure. So uh, and there's, there's really nothing to indicate, and I'm not an economist, but you know, uh, I, I am the president of a company, so I have to look at these things. No, I sure. don't think I don't think much is going to be cheaper in 2019. Yeah, <laughs> I can't think of anything that's going to be cheaper in 2019, gear or otherwise. Yeah, just the way it will be. Okay, I'm going to check uh, check here. Our next question that we have is uh, uh, somebody is asking for a wedding. They wanted to illuminate the head table, the people sitting behind a head table. And make it so that their faces would be uh, better for video and that uh, the guests can, can see them a little bit better. But they didn't want it to be so bright in their faces that the wedding party is squinting the whole time. Is there some methodology of lighting that would help in that kind of a situation? 
Yeah, try to get the lights uh, maybe higher. Obviously, you don't want kind of the, the Blair Witch look. And actually, I'm a pretty good example of this right now because the light is very much over me. We can see shadows in the lower part of my face. So you don't want to go too high. But uh, having those lights not coming directly at them but coming from a higher angle or off to the sides is going to help. Uh, putting some diffusion on it might help. Uh, you know, certainly uh, look at, at uh, you know, good uh, – maybe uh 3700 4000 you know kelvin's color temperature uh having good consistent color temps so you don't just completely blow out the color of their skin mm -hmm. uh uh if you're also doing the video that's much easier because then you can white balance to your own lights but i think this is if not an opportunity to coordinate with the video contractor uh and work with them and make sure that you have a color temp that they're happy with uh, so, you know, you might, uh, I'm, I'm taking this really as far as I can go with it. I think here to say, you might even want to have some, uh, some CTO filters or something handy, uh, if necessary to adjust the color tint. Uh, but most, most modern cameras can white balance pretty well with whatever you got. I just wouldn't go with something that's, you know, 7k <laughs> and blast it at them, you know? Yeah. It'd be, be pretty, pretty intense. It would. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, folks just, to, just to avoid the, you know, I think, uh, you know, everybody's driven in the, you know, at night in a car, avoid sort of the oncoming headlight look, you know, yeah. you don't want that light coming right at them. Uh, that's, that's going to create the most difficulty and the most discomfort for them. Our next question. Um, there is, they're looking for a, um, a way to do music videos at their events and they want something that will ha give them the most flexibility for smaller setup spaces. They're debating between uh, doing televisions on some sort of a stand, whether it's a, um, a, a trussing stand is what they refer to it as, or if they should do a projector and screen. Which, would, which direction would you recommend them or steer them for more flexibility within their setup? TVs on totems, TVs on quad stands like the Gator, uh, projection screens, video walls, fielder's choice. You know, uh, I mean, certainly uh, TVs on totems or the, uh, the Gator stands uh, are going to be smaller and easier to move around and more flexible. Uh, at the same time, though, it's a smaller screen. If you need a bigger screen and you need a bigger impact, uh, then a projection screen might be, uh, you know, your, your best bet. And uh, I know you didn't mention specifically video walls, LED wall, but I'll throw it in there. Sure. Uh, that's probably the most versatile and least flexible option. You know, they tend to be heavier, uh, you know, consume more power, uh, but they're much brighter. So um, I don't know that there's an easy answer to this one. I, I think it fits your individual event and your vision, uh, your ability to transport, your budget. Um, there's a lot of individuality to this. You mentioned Gator, and I saw that stand. Um, it's a, it isn't a traditional lighting stand. Can for those who haven't seen that, can you kind of describe that a little bit and give it kind of a compare and contrast from a traditional light stand? I'd love to because uh, we have a bunch of them in stock, so uh, <laughs> we're in a very charitable mood. Uh, <coughs> as we approach the end of the year, we'd like to reduce our inventory a little bit. So uh, there's an opportunity for you. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm choking on this delicious Chicago water here. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, unlike a traditional tripod stand, uh, these are a quad pod, which uh, ever so cleverly just means it has four legs, 
but uh, instead of a traditional uh, tripod format, you can just imagine it having four legs coming out, uh, similarly styled to a tripod though. Um, and on top, it has a TV mount bracket or a display mount bracket, I guess we would say now. And uh, that just very easily attaches and detaches from the stand. So uh, in many cases, you could leave that on the back of your display, put it in the road case, take it out, just pop it on the stand. Uh, a very, very quick setup. Now, with the with the quad stand, it has. would you put it where you would have the legs where one leg would go forward, or would you go with two legs forward and two back, or how? what would be the, the most secure way to use that stand? Well, I think here, it, you know, is another it depends moment. Uh, probably in most cases, I would just go two forward and two back. Uh, keeping the uh, you know the uh, lines of the legs somewhat parallel to the surface of the display. Uh, if for some particular reason you needed more support forward backward, you could you could diamond it a little bit. But uh, I've found the stand to be so stable uh, that I don't think I, I can imagine a scenario where that's necessary. So I would I would put it with the two legs facing forward like this and the mm -hmm. other two facing back like that. How tall will that get a uh, get a display? I don't know. Because I, I I was just I was thinking about that. I, I saw those at uh, a couple of the shows, but I don't remember if that'll get it up. If those will get up six or seven feet, I, I think, think it'll get up about six or seven. I think yeah, so. I don't yeah, it's so much higher than that, but I think that's uh, about what it gets up to. Uh, I do apologize that I'd have to look up. Yeah, I, I don't remember either. It was just that was just a thought at the top of my head because they were showing displays and it was like, oh yeah, there it is, right at the not uh, an optimal viewing height as you're standing there. But I don't know. No, yeah, I think I think they they do an appropriate job for what they're designed for. You know, if you want to put a display ten feet in the air, they're not really an option. Yeah, you know? yeah. Just doesn't have the base for that. But I think if you wanted to put a display uh, six, seven feet in the air, I think they're a great option, you know. And again, I don't recall the exact height, but uh, I remember uh, the times I've had them out and have used them, uh, feeling very good about them. Uh, I know that uh, Katie from our sales team uh, actually uses them at gigs. Uh, hmm. She has a couple that she uses regularly. So, uh, you know, she'd be a great person to ask questions about it. Yes. Too. And if you call her and tell her that you you heard about him on Tuesday night with Ben Stowe, she'll get you a special deal. Or if you happen to be out at the wedding NBA right now, and kudos to you for taking your time out in Vegas to watch us, uh, we do thank you for that. But if you happen to be out there, she's out there. Oh, uh, her excellent. And, uh, her and Kat are both out there, and I think that's going to cause a few people's heads to explode because some people don't realize that Kat and Katie are two different people, uh, and that. <laughs> It does create some confusion, and of course, they they both uh, they both spell their names with a K, and their last names both start with a C, and so I think that that lends itself to more confusion. But we do get people who occasionally call, and we'll be talking to one or the other, and saying, "Well, I just talked to you yesterday. How come you don't remember this conversation?" Because like, it wasn't with me, you know. Uh, and uh, so, uh, in fact, one person called and said said, uh, yeah, can I talk to uh, Kat or Katie or whatever she's calling herself now? And we're like, well... Um, uh, two different people. Who are you? <laughs> I guess it depends on which one you uh, want to talk to. So anyway, they're both out there. And so you can go see that they are both real people and they both really exist. And uh, they'd both love to see if you're out of the wedding. Excellent. Uh, I got a couple more questions and then we're going to wrap up since you are on remote. I don't want to keep it too long. Um, Somebody asked a question, which we've probably covered this 10 times over, but just to give your gut response to this, what is one piece of, of specialty gear that every DJ should have? Oof. 
like 10 things just came to my mind instantly. I know, one. Like, What's the tick, pick one? It's like you sh- you got to have this. Boom. One piece of gear that every DJ should have. Yes. Well, I think, I mean, I guess I could be, I could be uh, sly about this and say a speaker. Hard to be a DJ oh, come without on. a speaker. No, no, no. I want specifics. I feel like, uh, I feel like every DJ should have a multimeter. Uh, I think I'm going to go that direction because it's not a typical piece of gear that DJs maybe would have in their rig. Certainly it's not uh, mission critical to the act of DJing, but I think it's mission critical to the act of continuing to DJ. Uh, I would say a multimeter uh, is probably the first thing that comes to my mind, Mm -hmm. but uh, boy, it's tough to limit it to just one. It's really tough to say if you have this one thing you're set because I don't think that's fair. I don't think so either. Yeah, true. Uh, Chris mentions uh, gaff tape, and that, that that would certainly be one. I was going to my, myself as I was thinking about this. My first was to go to a high end, uh, you um, multi multi tool, not a cheap oh. one, not a cheap one, but a a you know seventy, eighty, ninety, one hundred and twenty dollar one that can cut strip whatever you need to basically stitch things up or what you know that level. Because there's so many. I make a lot of good arguments for a lot of different things. And and I would agree with Chris 100%. Uh, gaff tape is a necessity for DJs. I wouldn't agree that gaff tape is gear. Uh, and that's just a distinction in my mind. I would call it a consumable, a supply. Yep. Uh, but again, I'm splitting hairs. I, I mean, I would agree with Chris. That's absolutely you should have gaff tape. I, I mean, that's uh, inconceivable to me that I don't know how you... Yeah. I just don't know how I'd live without it at this point, you know? Yeah. But I think the list of things I don't know how I'd live without are pretty long right now. I think if I was <laughs> if I was going to be deserted on a desert island, I'd probably need things like a multimeter gaff tape, you know, <laughs> a parametric EQ, you know. The, <laughs> uh, I'd probably get some weird looks uh, if, if uh, somebody asked me what I needed on a desert island. You know? <laughs> that would be... Why is that, why is that guy got a multimeter out there on a desert island? There's no electricity. Oh, but you haven't seen what I'm going to do with my bubble gum wrapper and this little bottle of ammonia. Anyway, um, I'm bringing MacGyver back. I'm making MacGyver cool again. You know, <laughs> he was always cool. Let's be honest. MacGyver never not. It was never not cool. Anyone who can you know, disable alarm systems with Wrigley's chewing gum wrappers. That's awesome. Uh, last question uh, we're going to hit here, and then we'll be uh, bouncing off. Uh, Jimmy was actually uh, talking about this one earlier. He was wondering, he's got a uh, Sennheiser wireless microphone, and um, one of the, the uh, antennas on the back um, kind of kind of wasn't working properly. I think it, it broke or something. And he was hmm. wondering, A, can they be replaced? And B, should it be replaced with the same, and you know, how, how to find the right antenna? And can you upgrade the antennas on these types of wireless microphone systems so you have more coverage? I counted three questions in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was, I, I know. I'm trying to get we – he was giving me these things, and I was hoping he would be here too. So so can they be right. replaced? Let's, and, take them, let's take them one at a time as I remember them. Yeah, please. Uh, one, can they be replaced? Yes. Uh any mic system with uh, removable BNC antennas or TNC antennas, uh, those antennas can be replaced. Uh, that's not exclusive to Sennheiser, but uh, any system where the antennas are removable, uh, almost certainly there are antennas available to put on there. Uh, number two was um, uh, where to find the replacements, right? I think if I remember yep, correctly. Yep, yep, that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, certainly uh, we sell them and there are many other places that do as well. Uh, one thing that is really important is that antennas are tuned to a wavelength. 
the length of the antenna uh, is, uh, is tuned to the radio frequency that it will resonate at and thus works effectively as an antenna. Uh, the ones that typically come with systems are called a quarter wave antenna, which will lead us to number three here in a second. Uh, and so it's really important to get the right antenna. Uh, so make sure you get the right frequency antenna for your system. Uh, and again, there's a lot of places you can get those. Certainly, if you want to reach out to us, uh, just tell me the frequency of your system and I'll help you get the right antenna for it. Uh, you know, myself or my coworker, we're happy to do that. Okay. Uh, so let's, but again, let's, yep. Let's put a pause right there before we get to uh, how to upgrade. If you, if you or get an antenna that isn't to the proper frequency, will it even function or will it be just, will it be diminished or will there be like nothing? No, it'll function. It just won't function as well. Okay. You know, uh, it, it, it will, it will work. Um, and uh, you may not even notice that it's not as effective as it could or should be, uh, particularly in a uh, true diversity system where we have two antennas receiving, the radio may just favor the other antenna, which of course compromises your diversity. Uh, so, uh, you know, and I guess the moral of this story is in a pinch, any antenna is better than no antenna, that's, you know? That's where I was kind of going with that. So, okay, so the final thing. But, Optimally, if you're going to spend your money, you want the right one, you know, and like I said, there's a lot of places you can get them. Uh, we're, we're just one of those places. So, you know, of course, we'd love to help you, but we're not the only place. Uh, to number three, because most of these systems come with a quarter wave antenna, uh, you can upgrade to a number of different types of antennas. And John, I remember back, I think in 2014 or 15, you and I did a show on antennas. Uh, and I had a big uh, table full of them, uh, worth a watch if you want to learn a lot about antennas. But I'll give you the, the short version here. Uh, quarter wave antennas are called that because they're a quarter of the wavelength. And we just talked about antennas being tuned to a wavelength uh, that they resonate at. Uh, and so uh, a, a half wave antenna would be an upgrade from that. And it's about twice as long as a quarter wave antenna. Uh, in, in the theoretical realm, it's going to give us about 3 dB more reception power. So that's an upgrade, but there's another really big upgrade in that. Uh, quarter wave antennas are monopoles and they require a ground plane to work properly. They have to be attached to the chassis of the receiver or its rack kit or something that, that shares its ground plane. Whereas a half wave antenna can be mounted anywhere. Uh, so you could mount that remotely on your rack somewhere, you could mount it out on a stand, uh, but a half wave antenna does not have to be attached to that ground plane. So it's an upgrade, not only in that it's gonna give you more gain, uh, but it's also going to allow you to mount it remotely. And then uh, kind of the last thing I think we'll talk about are like the shark fins or the bat wings, uh, or as nerds like me like to call them, log periodic arrays, LPAs, uh, you know, paddles. Uh, LPA antennas are directional antennas that are going to give you even more gain and in a focused direction. So they're going to allow us to have more reception in the direction we want and more rejection in the direction that we don't need a signal coming from. So to me, that's that's the ultimate solution. Uh, you can mount those on mic stands. Uh, we actually have a nifty little package with two of them and cables and a, and a bar that uh, mounts them on a, on a uh, stand for you uh, very, very, very affordably. And that's gonna give you really, really good reception. And by the way, I just want to toss this in bonus points because uh, somebody asked this question. It was a good question. I think if I remember correctly from the forum, it was uh, it was Mike Regan that asked the question. Uh, but anyway, it was asking in the manufacturer's documentation, it says these antennas uh, should be one meter apart, but we sell a bar that places them only about 14 inches apart. 
And he says, why does this work? And I explained the wavelength and frequency and these paddles are broadband. They're from 470 to 900 and all this sort of thing. And I told him, really, we only need to have them about six inches apart. Uh, and uh, just for sport, I asked the application engineer who works for the factory that makes these antennas. And it was really humoring to me that his reply was almost word for word what I had said. So for those that are wondering, if you see that documentation, there's direct validation from the manufacturer I'm not an idiot. Uh, it, it's just <laughs> physics. Uh, we don't have to have them a meter apart. Uh, you really only need to have them uh, about six inches apart. So Wonderful. Ben, that's, that wraps up our questions. Thank you much for your time tonight. And we are going to let you get back to the lovely city of Chicago. You know, I, I, I do like it here. Obviously, I uh, come here fairly often uh, to uh, teach this class here. Uh, I've got a, got a great group of uh, young uh, future stage technicians, uh, very enthusiastic and excited to join our industry. Uh, and, uh, and I like, I mean, downtown Chicago, you, you, uh, you can't walk 20 steps in any direction blindfolded without bumping into a great place to eat. So, uh, you know, I'm all about food. I'm pretty happy. <laughs> Sounds great. Ben, you have yourself a great evening gang. We'll be back at uh, 10 o'clock Eastern with Brian red tonight. Thanks.